The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Debenport. This is Ellen Debenport for Voices of Unity. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise to help you dive deep into spiritual topics so you can discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. I serve as a host and kind of an MC for this show. I am, when we start a new series, I, I reprise my bio. I'm a unity minister. I've written a couple of books. I had a couple of churches in Texas. And now I'm in charge of the communications department at Unity World Headquarters. So I get to oversee Unity Radio as well as having a show. Our guests for Voices of Unity are sometimes unity ministers, but also others who can share something special they've learned. They have a body of work. And we're changing the format a little bit for the next few weeks. We've been having guests come and stay for several weeks. Now we have a co-host who's going to come and stay for several weeks. This is Jackie Fernandez. Jackie's also a unity minister. Jackie, what else are you? Well, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a musician. I'm a mother of two amazing teenage young women. And I serve here as the Director of Multimedia Services in the Communications Department. And so the the series we are starting today is um, based on Pride Month, which is June. We're a couple of days early, but uh, I especially wanted Jackie to co-host with me for Pride Month. Because why, Jackie? Well, Ellen, I think that you wanted more um, than a voice of uh, the allies, which you provide for the show. And we have a whole um, amazing slate scheduled for the show. But as you know, I'm an open um, queer woman of color. And I I prefer the term queer. I um, align with the movement to reclaim that word. And to me, it fits. Okay. When I was learning about all of this, I was it was drilled into me not to use that word. Yes. So that yeah, that you know has been a derogatory um, term, and there's you know the, just been this movement over the last uh, decade or so to reclaim that as um, as a source of pride and to really embody that term. And I do come across you know people um, and uh, different generations who have that same sort of reaction of like oh. You said the Q word. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when we, you know, the acronym, which seems to be growing, LG, you know, LBG, LGBT, depends on, you know, the, the different coast, put the B or the G first, depending um, also uh, on your generation. And then you have the T, the Q, which can be queer or questioning. Mm-hmm. I, which can be intersex. Um, and A, you know, so there are different interpretations of, of how we might apply the letters as well. Okay, so you may have to help me with terminology as we go along, because people are going to start saying about me, well, you know, that's her generation, <laughs> meaning she's really old. She just doesn't get it. <laughs> so we also have a series of guests planned for this series. Um, we are planning uh, one week to talk about gay parents. 
We're planning a week to talk with um, some gay musicians. And we have lined up Bishop Yvette Flunder, who is the founder of the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries. And boy, does she have a story to tell. But today we are with our friend Mark Anthony Lord. Mark is, he's a lot of things. <laughs> he is a unity um he is a licensed unity teacher. He's a religious science minister in the Centers for Spiritual Living. He trained at Agape, so he's a student of Michael Beckwith. And he's done a whole lot of work with the gay community. And so we will talk to him about all of that. Mark, are you still with us? I am so happy to be with you. Hi, Alan and Jackie. Thanks for coming. In reading yes. a little of your background, I saw that you you first discovered unity when you were 14. I did. Uh, Jack Boland was my first minister. Wow. Yeah. That's hardcore yeah, unity. <laughs> I didn't know any different, but it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you've also talked a little about your recovery journey for many years, since 1990. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Your recovery journey. Yeah, yeah. I started recovery thanks to Jack Boland um, when I was 25 years old, 24, 25. Yeah. So I was very blessed because I'm very clear that had recovery not come into my world at that age, I really would be dead. And there's a way of moving through the world. I still every once in a while feel an awe for like, wow, something saved me. <laughs> it's mm. quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it keeps me humble. So I wanted to hear first about your own story and the internal process of coming out. Uh, my understanding of what you've done a lot with other gay people is help them find that sense of worthiness and acceptance for themselves, yeah. that internal yeah. process. So how did that go for you? Well, I think it's a pretty common story, at least for gay men. It might be different. You know, there's variations on every theme. But um, I, you know, knew I had, I personally knew I was different. I couldn't use the word gay when I was four. And I wanted to play next door and um, with Sherry, my girlfriend, in her bedroom. We closed the door. I'd put a blanket on my head so I had long hair like her. Um, and we knew it had to be a secret. We knew at that early age that something wasn't right. And that's how it started in me. There's something wrong with me. Um, As a young kid, the best way that my childhood mind could understand was it felt like um, I, there's a girl in me, but I look like a boy because I liked girl things and artsy and I didn't resonate with the boy things. I didn't want the trucks I got for Christmas. I wanted the Barbie head that my sister got. And so some of those typical things for me, stereotype, I fit the stereotype, um, love to dance and sing. And those things weren't necessarily gay things, obviously, but for me, they were the first pointers that because I was different and knew it at the core of my being and being first in a Catholic family, that that was one of the worst sins. Mm. It was a very traumatic, very traumatic childhood. Never felt like I belonged. When I reached puberty, that's when it started to add up. And then the sexual aspect of being is awakened. And then the attraction is toward boys, not girls. So then it's becoming more and more clear that there's something wrong with me. Um, 
folks. And I really believe that in our culture, in the world, we have not yet begin to truly understand the trauma, the trauma that happens to any LGBTQ um, child that internally feeling different, feeling wrong, especially when we, those who had like myself, the overlay of religion, which added to it, God is the one that doesn't like you. God is the one that is dissatisfied and, and, uh, you know, repulsed by you. Literally, imagine a young boy, seven years old, feeling that kind of fear, no one to go to, no one to talk to. So very early on, beginning to live a double life, beginning to present a persona, living a lie every single day of my childhood, having a private world inside that is separate and alone and broken, because it feels that way, not because it's true, but because that's all I knew. So my whole childhood, I really look back with, with deep, um, uh, what's the word, compassion for myself, deep, deep, deep compassion for myself and anyone who walks the beginning years feeling so wrong in God's eyes. It's a true psychic wound. It's a true deep, deep, deep wound. So fast forward, I start coming out at age 18, discover some gay bars, start having some fun. But again, double life, hiding, saying I'm going there, going to this place, but going to another place. Um, really just learning the art of literally living a double life. Um, went away to college and met my first boyfriend around 20 years old. And that was like the first love. And that was like, oh, I'm coming out. I'm telling everybody. And I was very blessed because my family wasn't surprised or traumatized by it. I was in the music theater department, so it was very acceptable. So that's in the mid 80s for me. That's when it started to turn around and my life started to be more and more and more out. I was having more and more friends accept me. Living the double life was shrinking quickly, but what remained inside of me were the wounds. So here I'm now being able to be out but having spent a life of lying, having spent a life of needing to pretend, that part wasn't healed just because suddenly people are loving me. That little boy in me, you know, that inner child work, call it that, you know, he was not remotely healed <laughs> just because this young adult part of me is suddenly, you know, learning to be accepted. I had a whole past truckload of pain that just remained in the center of me. So like, you know, all young adults, we cover it up. I partied. I did a lot of drinking, lots of anonymous sex, lots of things to cover up the pain, which for my experience mirrored a lot of other gay men specifically. Again, I'm going to stay on that letter in this part of the story because I can't speak for others. And I think there are some different experiences and some similar um, and then that's when the addiction got activated and um, just the deep, deep sense of unworthiness, the deep sense of um, brokenness remained inside of me. And that became the work that my that I had to do. And I really believe growing over time to love myself as a gay man, to truly accept myself, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt in every cell of my being, to the DNA of my being, that God loves me as I am, to have those kind of healings and profound healings at times, going to India, going to, I mean, I really immersed myself in, in healing 
myself and, and returning, retrieving my soul from the broken little boy that, you know, was hiding it. Um, that kind of stuff really is what helped me become a minister. That's what restored my spirituality, along with Unity, who I always praise for the healing around the Bible that I got from Unity, just the best thing mm-hmm. I've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of an overview of, I, of starting and, you know, the, the journey. That's a heartbreaking story. I'm glad it has a happy ending. <laughs> yeah, and I want a lot more people to have a happy ending. And so how do you coach someone else into into a sense of worthiness? Well, I think the first step for me um, is to create a space for them to begin allowing themselves to feel the um, enormity of it. I think that many times we dip our toe into something and then we want it healed. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like, I understand that. I mean, I want, I would love that too, but you know, what we've learned and I think many of us teach is the way to, the way to healing is to go through something. We've got to go through the tunnel of pain and come out the other side transformed. So dipping our toe and going, Oh, Oh, ouch, that's shame. And then pulling my foot out and going, okay, let's heal that. It's definitely a first step. But to create a safe, safe place where, where people are beginning to have to be able to see how has shame been running my life, how has this sense of deep unworthiness been, been um, the overlay that causes me to attract relationships that aren't working, that's in the way of me actually succeeding, or that's that's the impetus for me having enormous success in the business world, but enormous pain in my soul you know it's 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 helping people look at their lives through the portal of this unworthiness and reminding them over and over and over this isn't true but because you believe it's true and because you believed for big parts of your experience that this is true as you go into it, it's going to feel that but we're going to keep reminding you it's not so that you can go in a little deeper a little deeper and my experience is you've got to get to the point where it takes you underwater and you go, oh, I can breathe. Oh, this isn't going to kill me. This isn't going to consume me. Now you're beginning to rise like the phoenix mm. <laughs> out of it. Um, so the, the first step is to just create the space for people to be aware. Oh, this has been running my life. Then to help them begin to feel it. And while moving into feeling it and accepting it, because the big book says acceptance is the answer to all our problems, all our problems, so we must accept how profound the pain is and was, from there, it's our beautiful tools that we have at Unity. It's our affirmations. It's our meditation practices. I created a specific program called Wholeness Through Pride, which I believe we'll be offering through the Unity Worldwide Ministries. We're in communication right now, so I might be jumping the gun on that, but we're in conversation, I should say, about offering that um, as a way for to support LGBTQ people in a process of moving through their childhood stage by stage and really going in there and clearing out the pain bodies, purifying it with the love of God, and then infusing each part with, with new stories, new affirmations, and new truths. So that's the way that I know how to do it. But good therapist 
good ministers, <laughs> good spiritual counselors, um, you know, I, all of those things add up to help us heal. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, Mark. You know, I think it's so important, you know, because what you're saying is that 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 point at which you reach self-acceptance and you even take the next step of coming out still does not, it's not the Band-Aid, like it doesn't automate healing for whatever has happened prior to that um, right. in a person's life. And so to really give the space um, to heal through that and to grow in and to who you are becoming in authenticity. And I think, you know, such an important piece of the equation or of the story is that self-acceptance and the choice to live authentically, you know, that's a choice, but it leads to and is tied to safety, physical safety, you know, the safety, emotional safety in terms of, okay, what's the world response? What's my family response? What happens at work? What happens at, you know, in my spiritual community or my church? So there's there's that piece of it that still doesn't address what you're talking about, which is that the uh, the completion of that um, internal process, which yeah. may or may not ever be complete, but the journey of it. Yes, yes, for sure. Well said, <laughs> very well said. And what I know and what I love is that one of the ways I really feel like I'm, yeah, you know, there's all, you know, it's peeling the onion, um, but I feel like I'm so awakened to the freedom of it because one of the ways I know that is that I love being gay from head to toe, every cell of my being, this is how I am this incarnation. And I think it's beautiful. And I always joke when I'm talking and I'll be like, you know, you straight people, I don't understand how you do what you do. It doesn't make sense to me, but it's your business. (laughs) For me, (laughs) a man with a man is just like pure beauty. It's heaven. It's art. It's, it's just so beautiful to my soul. And the fact that I can say that and love that and know that there's no resistance in this thing called God to that, I think that that is an example of what healing can look and feel like. That's beautiful. You know, there, there, because there isn't really a model or experience for a cisgendered, you know, heterosexual person to come to that realization. It it just is. It's the narrative, you know, when you pick up a book or you go to the movies or, you know, childhood stories, that's the expectation. Yeah. So the art of that and the beauty of that is, um, is just ever present and presumed. And so to have a different narrative and a need for that and to really come into the understanding and, and um, the beauty of it, as you're describing is, yeah. you know, there's a special permission that has to happen even, even today. You know, when the narrative is becoming, you know, more widely accepted, there is still a cultural presumption of this is something different. This is something to be questioned, to be uh, worked through, journaled about. Um, There's still a a coming out process um, that that a person needs to go through. Yeah. And that's why I believe it's a very profound spiritual path. Any minority, any person that doesn't fit the norm has got to at some point face that part of them and learn to accept and love it. And that to me is spiritual (laughs) awakening. And, you know, every person might bump, you know, straight people bump into it in different ways and whatever it means for them. And, you know, they may have sexual shame or whatever. I mean, I'm not implying. Sure. No, I mean, authenticity and self-acceptance is a a universal journey. It's a, it's a path for people of all kinds. Yeah, for sure. We've been doing a lot of training here at Unity, the employees have, around diversity and inclusivity. 
And we did a whole day on privilege and sort of gauged for ourselves how much privilege we do or don't have. And I was astonished at how much privilege I have taken for granted just because I'm straight. I didn't I didn't know it counted. I didn't get any points for being female, but I got a lot for being straight and white and nominally Christian. Yeah. Yeah. I want to tell a quick story that's a little off topic in alignment with that because I think it's so profound. I, I thank you for doing that work. I really do. Um, I walked into a Starbucks a couple months back and I got out of my car and I was like, oh, I don't have my wallet. And I thought, oh, they'll give me a coffee. And I walked into Starbucks and I just said to the barista, I said, hey, I forgot my wallet. Would you mind just giving me a cup of coffee? And they're like, sure. And they handed me a cup of coffee and I walked out and I had this profound moment of that was white privilege. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I didn't even bat an eye. Mm-hmm. I knew I was like, I'm, I didn't think, oh, I'm a white guy. Right. And so I can walk in there and do this. I just had this sort of privilege stance that I knew I could do it. And it was profound because I tasted my own white privilege and I was so grateful for it. I posted it on Facebook and I will say new thoughts, science of mind and unity to people. They were so resistant to seeing it. There was things like, oh, well, that was your vibration. Oh, well, maybe it was this. Who's to say a black person couldn't do the same? Meanwhile, black people on my thread were saying, I can't believe you drove without your wallet. I can't <laughs> believe you drove <laughs> right. I mean, it brought up this amazing conversation, and I was more surprised at, I would say clearly, the white people on the feed that could not see where I was coming from. <laughs> it's fascinating. Interesting. Awareness yeah. is everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, so while I'm here with two ministers, how do you address the parts of the Bible that clearly say uh, God thinks you're an abomination and you should be put to death? I mean, I'm sure that congregants have asked you about that. I know what I would tell them, but I'm curious what you would tell them. Well, um, so you're talking about specifically Leviticus? Well, and then there's that uh, weird passage from Paul and Romans. and Well, I love, that, I love that you pause, Mark, and even just ask that, because when Ellen said the Bible clearly says, I'm like, eh, you don't it's think not it's so really clear? very clear, which is, you know, <laughs> what I love to dive into. It's, it's not clear at all. And, you know, and even just knowing that the word homosexual is a modern word. So it's bad yeah. translation in the first place. Um, but go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I mean, no, you keep going, Jack. I want to hear your thoughts first. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's bad translation. And I think, you know, if we go to Leviticus and, you know, the Old Testament, there are very specific circumstances and references. And you have to know your history and um, that people, it was an act of war to go into right. a village and um, and part of your victory um, I'm going to say this because it came to mind. It's horrible. But part of your victory dance is to rape men. And so that knowing that and understanding that that's what was um, the abomination to that the people were being called to a higher way of being. Um, and as far as Paul's writings, um, you know, we, you know, I'd have to go in and look at it closely. But there are writings that are not. They're attributed to Paul, but not actually Paul's writings. And and it's a whole list and litany of what you, what you aren't to be doing. And um, 
and the follow-up to the verse, the, the end of that verse is, and that's who you were. That's what you were. So it's an entire um, list of your old way of being, and you are now being called forward in the grace and mercy of Jesus. And so to pick and choose, you know, so I'm going to eat shrimp, but you can't be gay, you know, is it's problematic. The entire argument is problematic. Yeah. yeah. So I prefer to meet yeah, scripture where it is. Yeah. And I do think there's just some pieces of scripture that just aren't worth reading. Like, it's just true. Like the, the, the rules in Leviticus, unless you're going to metaphysically interpret every single one. I mean, like it was such a, it was a time of building a tribe. It was a time of building a people. One of the things I've heard, and I thank you for sharing that, Jackie, because that's new to me. So I'm, I'm grateful to know that. Another angle, and there's so many different angles on it. Another idea was that, you know, the Jewish people were in a time of needing to build the tribe, needing to build the people. And men laying with men is not going to increase their numbers. Women laying with women is not going to increase their numbers. And they, and it, it was common practice um, when they were away at war, they were away for a long time. There was more of a sharing of sexuality and care for each other. And, um, or, you know, I, I can imagine the rulers of the tribe at some point saying, we've got to grow our numbers. Let's make a law. This is the only right. way we can do this. Right. Um, so that's, that's a possibility. Um, and, you know, so I'm a big fan of metaphysical Bible interpretation. Obviously, we all are. And I think that's the only way to, um, to read anything in the Bible. I don't get to metaphysically interpret stories and then try to take other parts literally. <laughs> like, it's right. just not... It's not going to work for me, and the Old Testament's much easier to do that for me. When we get into the New Testament, I just start thinking, you know, the further away they got from the revelation of Jesus, the further out from the inception of any miracle, including the unity movement, the further out from Charles and Myrtle's Fillmore, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore's miracles, the more we get into dogma, the more we get into rulemaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're sort of experiencing that in, in our New Thought organizations. We're starting to make dogma because we're so far from the founders. Imagine that same experience with Jesus, where suddenly they're building a church, suddenly rules, and over time, the acceptance of, of homosexuality in the culture and in the government is getting, you know, disappearing profoundly, and the churches are just riding the cultural agreements to help build their own organizations. So, Mark, I don't know if you so can hear the music, but it's telling us it's time for a break. This is getting really Wonderful. good. So we will be <laughs> back after these messages with more from Voices of Unity. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The Voice of an Awakening World. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Eric Butterworth. 
So we're always into this thing called time. It's very hard to free ourselves from the pressure and the limitations and the boundary lines which time sets down. So that in partial experience, in human consciousness, we have what we call deadlines, which are an abomination in human experience. But in the whole of things, we have only alive lines. We live in eternity, and time is always now. In the eternal of you, there is a completed whole, there's a finished kingdom, and all that you do and seek to do is always complete in infinite mind. And as we say, it can be done in a twinkling of a second, or it can be done in hours, it can be done in days, or we can stew and fret about it all of our lives. In God, it is now done. To hear more talks from Eric Butterworth, visit truthunity.net. Know Yourself as Divine, Stations of the Cosmic Christ. A new book from Matthew Fox and Bishop Mark Andrus introduce a spiritual practice designed to help you realize the divine within. Combining prayer and an interpretation of the Stations of the Cross, featuring beautiful imagery, you will be led on a process of transformation. This book will help you discover the most caring, courageous, and compassionate parts of yourself. Get your copy today at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. If you're wondering what's holding you back from living your passion, it's probably you. Get out of your own way and join Vincent Jenna every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time for Stop Stopping Yourself. Vincent uses his gifts as a psychic medium and spiritual teacher, as well as a master's in social work to help people find real answers to what's causing them pain. Listen live and join the show with your questions and comments right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Devonport. We are back with Voices of Unity. This is the beginning of our Pride series that will run through June, and we're talking with Mark Anthony Lord, who is these days the minister at Unity of Naples, Florida. So, Mark, tell us how, tell the listeners how to find out more about you. Sure. Um, I, do, uh, I do do coaching and counseling for um, LGBTQ people who are interested in taking a uh, spiritual journey of self-acceptance and working through some issues. My program I mentioned earlier, it's a whole, it's called wholeness through pride. And I do that also one-on-one coaching. So if anyone's interested in learning more about that, you know, the best way to do that is to really to just shoot me an email, super easy email. It's my last name first, Lord Mark Anthony at Gmail, gmail.com. So Lord Mark Anthony at gmail.com. Feel free to shoot me an email or go to the church that I'm currently working at, which is unitynaples.org, unitynaples.org. You can shoot me an email there also. 
I lived in Florida for a long time and found it to be a pretty conservative state. How how, how are you doing you there? About that? <laughs> and Naples has lots of retirees and rich people, and I just think of them as you know, pretty red. So how are you doing? Um, well, this is what's interesting. I, before this job, I was offered a position in Seattle, Washington, at a large center for spiritual living church. Mm-hmm. And so I went there for the weekend. My husband and I went to Seattle and we prayed, <clears throat> you know, God show us. We did the show me prayer. Mm-hmm. Show me mm-hmm. if this is a yes, make it a solid yes. If it's a no, make it a solid no, but don't give us a middle ground. We don't want to play that game. <laughs> the moment we got off the plane in Seattle, it was a no. It was a no, everything we did. It was so oh, wow. interesting. And, and I like did the whole interviewing process and spoke on Sunday and, and all that stuff. And we left, we got on the plane to fly home and it was like, oh, God, no way. And it was hilarious <laughs> when they called me in like a week and they offered me the job. And I literally wanted to say, were you at the same place I was? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so that was kind of mind-boggling. But then my candidating up there activated someone else and someone else, and suddenly I was connected to Unity Naples. And I thought, okay, I'll go give that a try. I went down, I candidated, and I had a welcoming experience. I had a coming home kind of experience. But I did experience this is not who I am. It's mostly straight. It's very white. It's very conservative. And I've only lived in major cities in my adult life. And, but there was something here and I just kept praying about it. And a friend of mine sent me an email a couple weeks after the candidate who I hadn't spoken to in years. She's a minister. And she said, I'm thinking about you. You came to me in meditation and God said to tell you this, go where you would never go and you will find yourself. And then I got the offer from Unity Naples, and I heard Spirit say to me, you can go to Seattle, and you can fit in and be one of the blue people, and you can go fit in, and you can be nothing new and original, or you can go where your very vibration will make a difference. And I knew that I was supposed to go where I'm needed, not where it's safe. (laughs) So it's missionary work. And it is missionary work, and let me tell you. They love me and my husband. We have been loved. We have been showered upon. The older people here are opening up and asking questions. And I really feel, and I say to my husband, God is using us just by being here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty phenomenal. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. then I'll quit worrying about you. <laughs> Yeah, don't 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 worry about me. God's got me. <laughs> and you started a couple of churches or centers in Chicago, right? Bodhi Center. I I did. I did. I I founded first the Bodhi Spiritual Center in 2003. I was there for 11 years. It grew really large. Um and I just was so consumed by it, overwhelmed by it, lost in it. Um and at around the year 10, spirit was saying it's time for you to go and I I grappled and I did what most people do, which is ignore God's guidance. And then it got harder and harder. And um, finally, I, you know, on my knees kind of felt the break in me. It's like, okay, okay, I'll listen. And uh, for about four years, I was coaching and consulting. I was helping churches grow. I had clients, churches that were my clients and just helping them redesign. The new thought world is really behind on how to do progressive 
churches that speak to young generations. And I'll be very honest, unity's really behind, mm-hmm. <laughs> mostly. I'm not, I don't know every unity on the map, so I can't say absolute, but so outdated, so, so, so outdated. And I really was just have an ability to create current contemporary things. It's just in my bones. And so I spent about four years doing that. And then I was like, God, I want to get back to church life. A group of people in Chicago said, well, let's start a new one together. And I did that for a while. I was like, no, I'm not pioneering another church. You guys take it. And that's still going beautifully. So I think they needed my energy just to help get it off the ground, which I was happy to do. Um, And then obviously the, the unfoldment of getting down here to Florida happened. Okay. So let's talk a little more about the pain that gay people may have around religion. Mm-hmm. Don't most of them just give up on it altogether? Yeah, I hear that so often. You know, when I go to a when I go to a a party of you know of gay people or you know a gay man or whatever, and uh, you know, I'm always like to my husband, I'm like, please do not say I'm a minister. <laughs> <laughs> It's so interesting. I go in the closet in a whole new way <laughs> around this because I'm telling you, it is a party killer. I was just going to say, it like really shifts the mood, like, and that pause of silence when everyone just sort of reevaluates every assumption they made about you up until that point. Yeah. I mean, so I hear. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if either of you, but it's just so like when people say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I just swore." Yeah. Just like, oh oh yeah. my God, I can't believe you're seeing me as a priest or whatever mm-hmm. you're seeing me as. Um, so, um, but you know, in my role, I love my role. I love who I am, and I love what I do. It's just about bumping up against. Uh, and there's a large wave of resistance in our culture, period, right. um, because of the abuses of religion. Um, and then the they specific overlay of being a member of the LGBTQ family. Um, there's such a pain body. And it is the throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I would have done it, too, had I not gotten into recovery at age 24, 25. And and really knowing immediately that I needed God to live like that just for some reason became clear to me. And I knew it wasn't the God I was taught. Um, so, you know, I, I, you can't force anyone to come. We know that, (laughs) but I really believe the LGBTQ family and world is a very spiritual tribe. I think at the, you know, we've all heard stories, I think, about, you know, way back in time or in, in more um, uh, indigenous tribes and things and, and um, Indian tribes where the gay person was considered the twin spirit or the, uh, the yeah, fear spirit. of the spiritual yeah. world. Like, like it, was re- it was revered and it was honored as a spiritual um, incarnation. And I believe that that's true. Uh, I just you know, do my best at ringing that bell and allowing people to be who and where they are, because I think that's, you know, always our best choice. But I do think there's a lot of pain in this area. There is. And it, you know, I think it depends on what your sort of um, religion of origin, your upbringing um, context has has taught you, that voice in your head of, uh, you know, who God is and and what God says um, from an early age. 
and how you translate that because doing that deep work of self-acceptance and authenticity will bring to life, you know, whether you like it or not, your spiritual journey. And and then what do you do with that? You know, for me, I stopped reading the Bible. I stopped talking to God when I went through my own experience of just self-acceptance because I didn't know how to face that the God of my knowing and understanding in the face of the God that has been taught to me. I couldn't reconcile it. So I just stopped. And then, of course, lo and behold, a few years later, I got a job at a Unity Church, which I took primarily for the reason that I could be in a church building and at the services, I was the AV director, and not have to participate in the community. I could just sort of show up as a fly on the wall. It was my job to listen. Ha, joke's on me. It was my job to listen to three services per week. And, you know, and of course, the first time I walked in, there was a transgender person that opened the door for me and greeted me. And I had no idea that that I was walking into this open and affirming community. I had zero clue. I was just really looking for a little part-time job. And and then there was a lesbian couple and there was a gay couple and people just walking around this church like they belonged, you know. <laughs> it was just a normal thing. And I, I had no context or experience for that. And um, I was shocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe that unity is such a healing place um, for this issue. And there's more and more churches that are becoming that. And I really, you know, being in CSL and Unity, um, this is where I think Unity takes the lead. I don't mean to compare, but I'll say it that way in this moment, like your commitment to really wave the gay pride flag during the, the, the month of June, but all year long, your willingness to really be interested in how to do outreach for that particular uh, group of beings. Um, I think it's really beautiful. I'm, I'm honored to be a part of that. We actually made some flags. We have the rainbow flag with the word <laughs> unity emblazoned across it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> Very clear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. I think the world is changing. Even down here, this coming Saturday is the Gay Pride Fest in Naples, Florida. And, I, you know, it's my first time here this year, but they have a booth every year, at least for the past couple of years. And um, we made affirmation cards with gay wings on them. And, you know, it's things like, you know, God thinks you're awesome. You know, you're mm-hmm. super cool just the way you are. We made it really street language mm-hmm. and we kept it really fun and um, edgy because our goal is to let someone go, whoa, this is a church. <laughs> like that's yeah, all I right. did. If I get that response, I did a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems to me that the gay community has come a long way, at least in my lifetime, but it's not finished yet. What You all tell me, what are some of the current issues that need attention? Well, I think it's easy to say that we've come a long way in our bubble. And if you're like me, I live in our wonderful Unity New Thought bubble pretty much my entire life. Um, there are many, 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 many countries that are not even close to where we are. There are still parts of this world where LGBTQ people will be murdered if they're caught being who they are. There are still many, many members of the LGBTQ family 
around the world that um, are living double lives the whole way, getting married to a sex that they're not attracted to, pretending to be a heterosexual being and all that comes with that just to survive, um, just to be a part of a family because there are still families in the United States, in the Western world, that will literally throw their child out of their home and out of their hearts if they were to know who that person is. And there are still large numbers of um, LGBTQ teens and youth, and I don't even mean to, to make it specifically that, but there seems to be more study there, that are so deeply depressed, suicidal, some commit, some succeed. Um, so uh, there's enormous pain that, that is still here to, to be healed. And even now, you know, we're seeing the laws go backwards around women's right. rights in front of our faces uh-huh. <laughs> in the very country that we're living in. And I believe the LGBTQ world walks right side by side with women. If women are losing their rights, LGBTQ people are next in line. That's sort of what I think about it. I don't know what you think, Jackie, but those are my thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. It's still, you know, I mean, it's a good question. Like, you know, what issues still need attention? And there, you know, there's like sort of the the activism, the the rights, those political issues, and then you know, there also we have marriage equality, which means we can also legally get divorced, you know, and parenting, and um, you know, for a long time you couldn't get approved as a gay couple to be foster parents, and you know that has been changing, and adoption is easier, and and options for creating a family, and that brings with it parenting you know what is it like to parent there again there's there's not a a narrative there there are not books you know you can get what to expect when you're expecting but it's it's for a specific narrative of a heterosexual mother and father and um you know that's part of the journey is really finding your tribe and and creating that you know collecting history and you know talking to other people who are going through similar experiences and and what those journeys are and finding ways to share that information. Yeah, I'm going to add one more, I think, really important piece um, is that uh, it's sort of a concern of mine, but I really believe it's happening anyway, which is that the um, wildness of the LGBTQ community, the sexual freedom, the beautiful colors and passion and, and, otherness about it is getting scrubbed out and they're becoming more heterosexual looking. (laughs) They're becoming more mainstream and that's not all good, bad, right or wrong. But, you know, even I believe in the African-American culture and all of our diversities, it's like, how do we maintain our natural beauty and uniqueness um, and also be accepted in mainstream, (laughs) but not have to become um, sort of like the white picket fence, you know, get married, you know, monogamy, all those things that are, you know, I don't want to make them wrong, but they're actually not for every person, they're not Mm -hmm. for every being on this planet, but that becomes the thing that we now have to put ourselves into a box to. So um, I think one of the challenges, the LGBTQ world maintaining its magnificence and its uniqueness and its freedom 
while acquiring equality. That's beautiful. Interesting. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think we see a lot of um, a lot of what you're talking about in how our transgender brothers and sisters have come in and through that experience where, you know, and just the conversation around gender is non-binary and, um, you know, gender fluidity. And, you know, to me that captures. So rather than an assumption being that if you want your outward appearance to, to be male or female, then you must fit into the norm of what male or female looks like. Right. And, um, and so we see that. And I think, you know, our young people, I mean, I have two teenage daughters and, from the time they were in elementary school, they were talking about classmates, you know, in the question, you know, our, our children are arriving at puberty in the question, not with an assumption of their sexuality or even their, you know, gender expression. And so I think that we see that that gives me hope to what you're talking about. You know, how do we maintain that, um, you know, the flair um, without falling into in order to receive rights to to have that experience of normalcy not having to give up that which makes us, you know, so vibrant and unique. Right, right. And I want that for every soul. Yeah. You know what I mean? Again, I don't, all the things we're talking about, I, you know, I'm sure there are heterosexual people going, well, that's me too. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. I can <laughs> you tell know, you my I, grandmother would, you know, my grandmother didn't want my, her children, so my mother and her brother and sister to speak Spanish because she didn't want them to have an accent. And so yeah. there's that, you know, the, in order to fit in, in order to, um, you know, be part of the norm. And so, yes, there are many people who have the same um, experience in different ways, I guess, a similar um, path. Yeah. Oh, such good convoy. We've covered a lot of territory. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have. We still have about eight minutes. Is anybody calling in, Ellen? They're not. They're, you're welcome to Crickets. if you happen to be listening live on May 28th. The number is 816-251-3555. And we'd love to hear from you if you have questions or comments about any of this. So, Mark, a few years ago, maybe four years ago about this time, you did something called the Global Pride Summit. Yeah. That we've also talked about reviving through unity. And it was... A series of was it videos or or audio calls with yeah i'm it's one of those things that um I created, and in hindsight, you know it was back in the even four when was it twenty fifteen so four years ago this very month um back then, like to do all the technologies and you know I put so much of my personal money, like tens of thousands of dollars into creating this summit um and technology has sped up so much over mm-hmm. the last four years that it doesn't require <laughs> remotely that much money right. to produce. And um, so I did one, and I was like, oh, man, I kind of blew my wad on that, and I don't know how to build more, so I just put it up on the shelf. But it was such a beautiful um, vision, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm hoping it'll come back um, in partnership with Unity or some way. Uh, but. It basically, you know, these virtual summits are interviews. They were videos. Um, and each day, it was the first five days of June. And I used the letters P-R-I-D-E. And um, each one stood for a different aspect of being. I can't remember. I should have pulled it up in front of me. So I remember. I, I have, have them written down. Oh, you do? What yeah. were they? Passion, 
responsibility, intimacy, dare, and empowerment. Yes. I really like those were the I know. And so each day I had interviews with, with thought leaders, spiritual leaders, LGBTQ leaders, um, change agents, and just asking them, you know, depending on which day they were, we focused on those topics. And the intention was for them to share their story of coming out and self-acceptance, and then to do exactly what we're doing here, to talk about um, the, what, what they see, what they desire, who they are. And um, it was a free summit, and people can tune in, um, you know, every day and just watch and participate. Um, and what I imagined and what I still believe is that because it's on the Internet and because it was such an intention of positivity and healing, I just always had like the avatar in my head for this creation was someone sitting in the middle of, I don't know, Oklahoma, a, a gay or lesbian or queer person or bisexual, whatever, transgender, sitting in a small town feeling so alone that they could hide out in their bedroom <laughs> and they could just watch a video and hear a story and know that they have brothers and sisters and 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 co-voyagers um, that are are with them. Um, and that's the intention of the, of the global pride summit, um, to just be an online free summit that, um, is healing and empowering. And, um, we may be looking at doing it next June, 2020. Um, that could be really fun. And I may pull out this month. In fact, as I'm saying out loud, I probably will just pull out some of those old videos from the years back because they're so good. There's wonderful interviews and post those up and, and share those and just sort of reactivate the energy of that. Good. Where could we look for them? On your website? Well, there is a um, Facebook page, um, the Global Pride Summit. Oh, okay. So It's still up yeah, there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've kept the Facebook page there, and there's a good um, over 3,000 people, I believe, on that um, site. I'm going to, yeah, uh, one, I'm pulling it up now just to make sure, forgive me for this. Um, but it's Global Pride Summit, and uh, that page is up, and I will keep it activated throughout the month of June. Good. I'd love to see some of those old videos, yeah. old being four years, but things yeah, have but changed. They're, yeah, they're very, um, they're very, uh, they're very, they have a freshness to them, I believe. <laughs> and the one other thing I wanted to ask you about is that you're very big on meditation, right? Yes. Why? Why? Because <laughs> I have a crazy mind. <laughs> um, I, I mean, it's just very simple. It's very simple for me. I, I mean, I joke about that, but um, the mind is, is for most of us far too active. It's like a, you know, it's a muscle. And the mind, ideally, the thinking faculty should really just be quiet, laying dormant until we need it. But it's like a muscle that is in hyperactivity, never stopping. Imagine moving your arm up and down, nonstop flexing your bicep. And I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I'm using my bicep. I know, but you don't need it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I can't stop. Like, you know what I mean? That's kind of mm-hmm. like the muscle of the mind. I use the analogy of the bicep. It just hangs out. And when you need the bicep, it gets activated. And then it hangs out when you're done with it. That's the ideal. You know, the mind is meant to be the servant of the spirit. 
And for many of us, the mind is whipping us around the the backyard like like a crazy, it's like the tail wagging the dog kind of a thing. So, you know, my meditation practice is the time to invite the mind to calm, to be here now, and to just get that hyperactivity relaxed and to get it out of overdrive and hopefully even get it into neutral <laughs> or in the <laughs> park um, so that then, you know, then I can be here now. Yeah. And when I'm here now, I have access to the presence of God and what's just my next step. So for me, that's it. It's not a tool that I use um, as much to access God, but I use it to quiet the mind. And then with the quiet mind, I access God. Okay. And with that, we are out of time. Beautiful. Mark Anthony Lord had a show on this network for a while, and those shows are still available in the archives if you want to listen. Jackie and I will be back next week with more from Voices of Unity. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.